Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, you level three Nudramons. This week we're putting out a podcast that DJ recorded earlier on in the pandemic with uh, Shane McNally from the Stage Left podcast. Uh, It was a really, really good chat that the two boys had, Um, but some of the bits of it were edited um, just because (laughs) it was about bubs reopening and shite like that. Um, And also, I was unfortunate Unfortunately, unable to make this podcast because I think it was stuck in traffic after helping some one of the boys move house. But uh, two lads had a great chat, so hope you enjoy it anyway. So I'm actually delighted to be joined this week by uh, a long-time online friend and now face-to-face friend of myself personally, and Shane McNally. Shane is the uh, co-host of the Stage Left podcast. Um, and is a, a, an activist for social causes on Twitter. Uh, I think that's one way of putting it, Shane. You're sitting there in a... Maybe, maybe, a, nu- maybe a nuisance. <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting here in my Bose jersey. <laughs> I was going to say, you're sitting here in your, your Bohemians Refugees Welcome jersey, which I actually have as well upstairs. Um, have, have a no affiliation to Bohemians whatsoever, but uh, a, a definitely one of the greatest uh, jerseys in League of Ireland history, if not football history. Uh, welcome to the Snowcast, man. It's been a long time coming. Uh, we've we've been trying to link up for a couple of points in Wexford at some stage, but uh, look, cans over Zoom, or, or growlers over Zoom have to do. So uh, <laughs> welcome, man. It's, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Well, no, thanks a million. Uh, it's, it's great to be on. Like, so, like I was just saying off air, I've enjoyed listening to it, and like, we've had great chats on Twitter and stuff, so it's nice to be able to I don't know, virtually face to face. Anyway, that's a it's a start. <laughs> we we'll get points someday, hopefully. Um, yeah, whatever this new normal is and stuff. But yeah, no, cheers. Um, I'm looking forward to the chats. I think we've a few nice things to get our teeth into, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. And and as I was saying in the introductions, there you're um you're a co-host of the Stage Left podcast, which is um a a left wing media platform that you've been trying to get up and running. And we were actually chatting about the trials and tribulations of a day off um off air. Um, but I suppose, actually, before we get stuck into that, I just want to ask you, the, the thing that we keep forgetting these days with the Zoom cans, we're, we're too eager to get stuck in straight away. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Um, what are you drinking tonight, Shane? So, uh, well, actually, but, well, I started off, and this will kind of maybe um, fit into our later talk, but I started off trying something that I, I thought was a decent beer ages ago, and it was a can of it um, in the fridge, so I'll give it a go. So I started off with a Hazy Jane from Brewdog to see how 
what, what, how it measured up. It was terrible. So I went back to uh, um, an old favourite, uh, Trouble Brewing. Um, I suppose Trouble Brewing got myself and a good mate of mine, Rob, started off on our kind of craft beer journey. Oh, this must be 2000, I think it was 2008 or 2009. I'd have to f- I'd dig up the Facebook memories or whatever. But they came out when they just started and did a, a beer tasting with a food and wine society we had in Minute. And uh, the lads did, did a bit of a tasting with us there, and um, yeah, they've had a special place in, in my heart since. But you know, their beers have obviously evolved o- over, you know, over a decade, and uh, they've gotten better and better. Uh, really, really nice guys as well. So I'm drinking the Viet now. Um, so that was, you know, uh, pre-COVID uh, on draft only. Uh, so I think it was P Max. I think it was in in, in Dublin. I might might have might have that wrong. Um, but they they canned it, and I'm glad they canned it because it's. Absolutely amazing IPA, nice multi backbone, loads of hops, you know, really, really long lasting finish. So exactly what you want from an IPA, and it's it's not really that cloudy, so it's not that you know murky new uh, New England IPA. So <laughs> sometimes it's nice to go, yeah, there you go. It's something similar to what you're drinking yourself. Yeah, brilliant. And I actually haven't had the Vietnam um, IPA yet from Trouble Brewing, but uh, they've had some absolute bangers down through the years, and it's great. It's great to see a, a company like them go from growth to growth and, and, and just um, keep bringing out bangers and great beers because, like you said, they've been going quite a while now and they were certainly at the first wave of, of the craft beer revolution in Ireland uh, back over a decade ago now. Like 2008 would have been when I started off in university and like we had the Fran, Fran Well down in uh, Cork and, and yep. you know, that, that was it really. That was pretty much your, your selection of craft. Um, craft beer as you said we'll get in get our teeth into that a bit more later hopefully Owen will join us for that because uh, he's very opinionated when it comes to this stuff and <laughs> there's nothing he loves more than reminiscing about uh, drinking random uh, beers back in the day but yeah myself I, I, I'm i I'm drinking the 8 Degrees Full Irish um, uh, IPA the, the single malt IPA which is which is an absolute like um an absolute body full of flavour. It's really, really good. I think you, you've you've had it yourself, Shane, haven't you? I have indeed. Yeah, and again, really, really solid kind of multi backbone, but then loads of hops, and then yeah. it's that real kind of pine needly kind of kind of hops as well. So it's kind of old school in that respect. Like, but sometimes you just want an IPA like that. You know, it's that's why I start drinking IPAs. Like, you know, it's that kind of American West Coast style. Yeah, like I I love this. Um, like during the summer, I love a good, like just hazy, fruity, like re- really fruity and hazy IPA. But there's something to be said. And actually, it's been a very mixed bag of weather here today. And there's a lot to be said for like a malty, like caramely, touch caramel, like really, really lovely, deep uh, IPA. Again, like you said, that classic old style IPA that has that that front load with malt and then the hops kick in. And it's just, it's a lovely little playful mixture on your palate. For me, um, what I love about drinking different beers and and I suppose like this is the thing I love seasonal drinking and I love being yeah. looking outside that's what I love about the the plinth of cans that we keep harping on about in worldwide wines is you can literally go in look outside the window and say what the weather is like today and and mix and match your drinks accordingly um and and it's one of those IPAs that just goes well all year round um and if you like hops there's a good deal of hops as you said but there's a lovely maltiness as well it brings a really good balance as like as I said, it's just playing with your taste buds, um, as you drink it, and it's a super clean finish for a, a malty hoppy IPA. Like you know, it's really really nice, 
Um, just yeah, just well balanced. Like you know, I'm kind of kind of veering into wine speak here. So give me a kick if I do that, right? Because that's the day job. But um, <laughs> like, but it's kind of nice. It's like we've kind of talked about like a bit you know, touched on it anyway. Like this evolution of right. So eight degrees and trouble brewing kind of started around the same time. Like and they were not quite the forerunners, but like certainly at the very very start of this kind of craft beer wave. And it's it's great to see that you know from start to finish not to finish but start to now is that like they've just like you say evolved over time but also gotten better um, and more consistent and they've got like classic styles here that like you could put up against some of the best in the world and say right you know what they, they'd be able to stand up to beside them no problem and you know it's if i if i wanted to tell someone about a classical west coast style i think you could give them either of these two beers and they'd be yeah that's great I get West Coast IPAs now. Um, now, not every craft beer is going to have that consistency, but it's just, it's great to see though, these two guys, like, you know, they have kind of evolved over the years and just, you know, gone, gone from strength to strength, really. Yeah, and I, th- I think the, the, the key characteristic is, like, for uh, from for an IPA, there's a, that little earthiness. It's like just a, yeah. that, that lovely kind of earthy uh feeling on uh, and taste around around your your tongue as you drink it which which really sets it apart from the the kind of more fruity summery ipas like the super tropical ipa from blacks that i'm a huge fucking fan of man i will drink that on any sunny day but it's distinctly different from from what we're drinking tonight and actually i, I don't know what the weather is like where you are but for me as someone who really like the weather influences how what i choose to drink like this is the perfect drink for a day that's been like the sun has broken through and it's mixed weather it's it's a bit overcast now it was pissing rain at lunchtime the one time i stepped outside the door you know it's just the perfect drink for that day yeah do you know i think i probably wanted a bit of consistency in my life because I, I woke up this morning and i had to put a jumper on i was walking the dog because it was freezing i went out for a run earlier and i practically fucking melted <laughs> maybe that's what i wanted like the weather's bonkers so i want something consistent to drink <laughs> maybe yeah. i'm doing the same as you just <laughs> that's absolutely it shane we mentioned there actually just um just before that about um a stage left podcast which you're, you were co-host with um and it was something that you really got running around the local elections last time around to give, um, I suppose, a left-wing perspective and some media in the southeast, in particular Wexford. Um, and you were, we were talking off air, uh, and I thought it might be worth getting into a bit, uh, specifically considering, like you know, we struggled to get podcasts together over the last month or two, and there are signs that we've really struggled to get them out. And you haven't done one in a couple of months. Um, just independent podcasting. How have you found it? Um, and I suppose. How can independent podcasters support each other more? Yeah, like it's it's a tricky question, like because um, I suppose like we'll go into this was what we were talking about all fair, but um, it's something I'd love to devote like so much more time to because what well, we saw just even doing the small bit that we did in Wexford, just kind of interviewing uh, local left candidates and giving them a bit of a platform and just like like this kind of you know having the chats, it's it's quite it's quite a good medium to be somewhat casual because you're not you know okay you do have a time limit like you try to keep it to a, you know half an hour 45 minutes or whatever but it's not a five minutes on the radio where you know someone's gonna have to just give you the the bullet points or you know whatever the tagline is of the day and you just don't don't get any substance so the, the a lot of the feedback that we got was like oh yeah we felt like we got, got to know some of the counselors and yeah certainly maybe go look at that policy a little bit more or whatever so that was great like just to be able to do it and you know yourself you can do it on the cheap you know you can buy a microphone and 
literally plug it into your phone if you want, like which which is great. Like so, it, it is accessible to a lot of people. However, what's you know you can't really buy time, and that's that's, that's the biggest. That's my biggest problem anyway. And look, as you've kind of alluded to it there with yourself. Um, for me, and look, it's it's for you know everyone has, has different challenges throughout you know kind of the the COVID crisis, but um on a personal level work has just been absolutely bonkers for me so like this you know evens when you come home and just like or not come home you walk out <laughs> from the home office you, you move five meters away and you're like your your brain is cabbage so you know you just you don't have the i suppose the, the energy for it so that i think that in itself is difficult because you know you want to be able to keep it as, as regular as possible but it also takes quite a lot of effort so you know the listeners they'll they'll listen to it and it might be a nice 45 minutes when they're out for a walk or a run and stuff but it doesn't take 45 minutes to do a podcast as, as you well know there's all the editing that goes around in the background and there's certainly the prep beforehand um, and we like to all pretend that we do loads of prep and have scripts and stuff but no there is a, there is a lot of effort that, that that goes in and I suppose a lot of us are learning on the fly as well like you know I hadn't edited audio since probably uh, back when I was in Minute, and I don't want to tell anyone how long ago that was, but it was a while ago, so, <laughs> as you can imagine. And you know, a lot of us, I suppose, are, are learning by through through error, really. Like you know, just kind of you know, like flying with seat for pants, as they might say. And that's that that takes its toll as well because you're like, oh, you know. Right, something's gone wrong here. I don't know what to do. So, like, I suppose there's lots of opportunities for more collaboration. Like, you know, to to kind of maybe answer the question that you've asked. Like, how do we, how do we move on? But there's a lot of things we can teach each other. I think, um, you know, so more kind of collaboration across, um, maybe genres as opposed to platforms is is the right idea. So, you know, there's lots of indie lefty uh, podcasts out there, but then there's lots of you know other podcasts out there. Um you know it could be the the simpsons podcast you were on the, the other day do you know what i mean like but there there is kind of synergies there where you could kind of maybe we could all help each other out and um, like what i'd love to see just on a personal level is that there's like a, an umbrella organization for for lefty podcasts but it's not just you know lefty politics it's actually you know arts and you know cultural stuff as well where you know there's, there's a hope there for all these podcasts and there's people there like almost full time or and that's what you, you, you'd want really um because yeah look effectively and i'm gonna go on. basically i'm the meme right you know it uh, has two points and turns into you know fucking lenin right that's, that's i am that meme so i'm sorry so, but no like there's there's a lot of opportunity for, for us to kind of you know learn from each other but then there's also an opportunity that it doesn't just become free labor because it is what we're you know a lot of us are and i don't see i don't feel like that if you know what i mean but when you look at it practically we are giving free labor to produce something and you know we we have day jobs to be able to try and do this if you know what i mean but if you know if the government you know just to say it as an example if local governments start giving grants to podcasts and stuff to get them going and stuff like that would make things a lot easier things like that so yeah there's loads of things we can do to to make it easier for ourselves but i think we're yeah certainly only baby steps at the moment we've have a lot of development to do but i don't know what your thoughts are on that, on that dj but yeah there's some brilliant points here i mean i i would certainly say when you talk about like maybe local government funding there's i would think there's an opportunity there maybe for sort of like a, a podcast co-op 
if yeah. for want of a better phrase, because um, exactly. I know that that the platform we use for distribution, Anchor, uh, who yeah. are really good, um, like the, there's limitations to Anchor, but you're getting it for free, so it, yeah. and it distributes everywhere. So it's really, really good for, for us who are like, as you said, learning on the fly, independent, having a fucking clear what we're doing, uh, just want to have a few points in the chat. Yeah. It's the ideal way to get us a platform um, and actually, like, I think we passed like 15k downloads to, today, which for us, like, I, I mean, I know there's other independent podcasts that probably get that a week, um, or Blind Boy who gets it like an hour. But they, <laughs> there's the, the beauty of it is, like, you know, for us, that's amazing because we, we talking about Phil Grimes earlier, we literally came up with the concept of this entire podcast sitting in Phil Grimes saying, like, we just had an amazing conversation, why don't we fucking record one sometime? Yeah. No, and that's how that's how it became kind of grew and um, what i think is brilliant is um like what anchor do in new york in their head office is they've got like a shared recording space where any podcaster who uses anchor can book in to use the studio um and then they provide like you know support for the people in the studio and they promote them as well and i think that would be an amazing thing for irish independent podcasts to do if there was i know that there's like um head stuff and and uh, the other crowd is at all there's, there's there's a couple of different kind of independent-ish um, groups who have studios and I know that like say for example Mother Folklore where you know yeah. Peter Kavanagh who's a friend of the show um, is on Mother Folklore uh, uses that but then you've looked like what the guys at the Echo Chamber podcast are doing with Tortoise Shack and providing a platform for people there this kind of thinking I think is really good for promoting independent podcasts like you look at the Tortoise Shack for example if you're talking about lefty podcasts um, yeah, it's, well, it's, it's, yeah, it's great you mentioned Echo Chamber because, like, you know, they've, they've um, got their Patreon now and stuff, and like, you know, there is you can see there's huge appetite for it. But I suppose you know, Tony wouldn't you know give out to us for saying it, but they they do need more to be viable. And I suppose that goes back to that point. Like, it, essentially, it is free labor if you know what I mean. And yeah, you know, they're it's not just that, but they're also up against you know all the the big boys who have money as well. Like, so you know, we are as independent uh, podcast producers that we're, we're, we're up against people with deep pockets, all the recording things that they absolutely need. And the thing is, a lot of the independents have the content. These guys just have the, the actual <laughs> hardware, if you know what I mean, and, and the market presence. So, um, yeah, like some, some sort of collectivization of, of, uh, of resource on, on, on the independent side of things like a co-op you've mentioned, you've kind of probably robbed one of my points for later when we talk about craft, but anyway, like, we'll, go, we'll go to that. Well, I think that's, that's a fantastic idea and it's stuff we should be really, really thinking about. Cause I'm laughing. I'm thinking like I'm talking to a guy who, who, who who's a co-host of a podcast called stage left and we're talking about unionizing the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but, but think, How long did that take? <laughs> yeah. I think, I think as well, like to take into account, you know, I went on to Spotify today to play a song and I get a push notification. Do you want to listen to Michelle Obama's podcast? You know, or, yeah. you know, Joe Rogan signed us a like million, million dollar deal with um, Spotify and like, you know, for exclusivity. And I'm <laughs> there looking at it thinking, like editing our podcast over Zoom over the last couple of months where I've, where I've had issues with laptops, I got la a laptop issue sorted. And now I'm like, last week editing the last podcast, I was like, I need to buy a new mic. Yeah. And then it literally became a choice, you know, in the last few weeks of me of um, buying a new microphone or uh, 
you know, there was someone like actually get my car serviced and it was the microphone or car service. I had to get the car serviced and get it ready for the NCT. And you're like, that's the challenge that independent podcasts are faced that like, you know, your, your bigger podcasts, um, don't, don't have that challenge. Um, and what I think is great. The only thing I'd say is like, you know, at least, you know, when you're listening to independent podcasts, like there's no one, nobody owns that material. Only the person who's created it. Like nobody's telling me like, as I said, like it, we we don't have the agile whisper in our ear. Stop promoting, you know, independent beer. Um, instead, we we can drink what we want, talk about what we want, say what we want, and so long as it's not libelous, we're not getting. It. <laughs> um, and there's no contractual obligations, which is brilliant. Um, yeah, there's an element of freedom in that respect, like which you know have to be encouraged and preserved, like you know. Absolutely, absolutely, and I think as well. Um, there's a fierce enjoyment and I suppose it's, it's the thing when you have full ownership over something like myself and Owen have over Snowcast and you guys have over Stage Left is when you do something that you're really proud of like there's a few podcasts that we've done that like you know the, the first one we did with Finn Dwyer and, and, and Billy yeah, Burns yeah. where like you know Finn was a fucking idol and then you get to meet the guy and have points with him and talk about like going on a beer with Rasputin and Robespierre and the same this is a great episode <laughs> yeah you know and it's like you know like I remember I just remember like uh, stumbling onto the train back to Waterford that day thinking like you know all the hardship and there is hardship associated with it and like for the thing is like with snowcast it's easy because uh we set a very low bar of expectation so there isn't that much that goes into it to be fair we just need the time to be present but in fairness like it's it's easy enough to do but i will say like when you do something like that you're, you're you just there, there's no substitute like even with the live show that we did and we're going to try and do a couple of more next year if we can to support if 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 for any other reason, but the support that likes Phil Grimes at Grady's Yard and get people in the door there, if we yeah. can, is um, hopefully we'll get you down, Shane, and get you on the, the Raz in Waterford for one of them. Definitely. But if if we if we can do that, um, it makes it worthwhile. You know that that night we did a live show, like we had, um, we we had guys come from Wexford Cork to come see the live show with Finn. Um, some of them for us, surprisingly enough, <laughs> you know, but it was just a brilliant experience. And I think that's the thing, like it's the collaborations with Finn um, it's having yourself, Peter Kavanagh, Tony Groves on the podcast as well, and then pushing us as well as us pushing them and that kind of stuff. I like, guess the collaborative approach is what will keep the independent podcast um, alive. And I think we do all like what like no matter what you think of the podcast, and I actually we myself and Owen both enjoy Blind Boys podcast, but you know what? He fucking stays independent and in fairness, he's a great um he's a great role model for independent podcasters. Not that we'll ever achieve what he's achieved in podcasting, but like, you know, it's it's someone to look up to and um I just hope he never listens to Snowcast because he mad at the audio fidelity, whether it's in the pub or on the Zoom. <laughs> Unfortunately, Owen's been in contact via WhatsApp. There's been a mishap. Uh, he's alive, he's safe, but he's not joining us this week, unfortunately. <laughs> Live drama. Yeah, yeah. Recorded podcast. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to speak on both of our behalfs for the rest of this podcast now. I'm going to I might do my best own impression. I, I don't know. <laughs> People at work tell us we sound the exact same on the phone, so I'm not. I presume we don't sound the same via podcast. Uh, Definitely not. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good thing. Um, so we're here, and I suppose Shane. We've been in we've been in talks over the last two years now that we're doing Snowcast. I think we we set up our Twitter page two years ago, so obviously it's, it's we're about two years in the go now. And 
we've pretty much been in talks since, since day one. In fairness, you've been with us since about day one. And um, we've been talks about getting you on the podcast and on the chat. And ultimately, just like with Wayne and Janet Stone a couple of uh, a couple of weeks ago, if not a month ago now, um, it was a tweet that bit the bullet for me that I said, right, we said, come on, let's let's do it. Let's, let's record. And you just tweeted, what is a craft beer? Um, which yeah, was, I think I did that format. Okay, I'll buy it. What's a craft beer? Yeah. Yeah. Basically, I was bored and I wanted to start an argument on Twitter. Oh, oh no. I was, I was like, have I missed said something on the podcast and he's listening now? <laughs> I was like, that's very Aristotle of you. Like, do you want to come on the podcast and discuss it? Um, so look, you, you, like you said yourself, you're, you're in the wine industry. Um, you're a big fan of craft beer, uh, independent craft beer, as long as I've, I've known you on Twitter. Um, we've had many a discussion about a beer. And I suppose, to answer your own question, will you? What's a craft beer? <laughs> Jesus, how long do you have? Yeah. Like, oh, it's such a tricky, like it, it's almost, right, I, I don't want to say it's almost like Brexit because it's not, but it's, it's become kind of a floating signifier craft, right? Okay, so you see craft and, what does that mean, right? So what that means to me and you, I'd say, is probably somewhat aligned, but I'm sure we'll have differences. But what that means to the general public is completely, it could be anything from, I know Wayne mentioned QTOR and all that kind of rubbish being co-opted and things like that. But it also, you know, culturally means something entirely different because you've got a, a whole, I suppose, in this late capitalist nightmare that we have is you've got lots of crafted things and in inverted commas for the listeners. So I'm not doing the, the quotes. And, um, you know, it's basically faux craft. It's, it's stuff that like, you know, it's gentrification of craft industries, basically, you know, that's, so, you know, there's a huge spectrum of, of what, what craft actually means. And it's something like, so I was being a little bit bold on Twitter. Imagine that. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> I, I am I am quite interested to get people's thoughts on this because I, I have my own opinions uh, of what I, what I think craft is, um, and I don't think anyone can have you know fit all the criteria of what I think craft is. I, I think it's more so what it what it could be because, like I mentioned, the big the big C word there, capitalism. It's a uh, it's, it's very difficult to uh, I suppose craft something ethically in a, in a capitalist system it's certainly very difficult to source things ethically it's, it's certainly difficult to um sometimes even have normal human interactions <laughs> um but it, what it boils down for me right and this is a very long-winded way of me answering your question bj i'm sorry but i do this especially after a couple of points <laughs> my question your question is answer however you want true true enough actually yeah <laughs> i'd like to have you done that <laughs> but, I suppose craft for me, right, if I had to boil it down to one word, it's people. Um, and I think I think Wayne actually quite eloquently said this on, on a couple of episodes ago for you, like, and he spoke at length about some of the, the people we have um, in the craft beer industry here. But what I mean by people is um, how close that person is to the person who's crafted or made something. And that works for workers and breweries, that works for people working behind the bar that works for me and you, you know, propping up the bar in wherever it is in Waterford we might be and hopefully, you know, a couple of months time or that's probably too optimistic, but you know what I mean. Um, and I suppose like I will, you know, put my Marxist hat on for a second, right? And it's, 
you know, the whole kind of, well, I, don't, I don't know if you want me to go into, you know, worker alienation and stuff like that, but, you know, the, the, this, this kind of society that we have now, people are always removed and further removed and further removed again from something that they purchase. And, you know, you purchase a product and you probably know very little about what's behind that product or who made it. But that actually works along the chain, whereas people who are making that product don't know much about that product. They might just know one tiny little part. And what that alienation is, is that they're just a cog in a machine and it doesn't really matter. They just repeat the same process day in, day out. So, you know, to give the analogy of a, a big brewery, there might be someone who just sticks on a label and that's it. That's their job. They'll stick on a hundred labels in an hour. They'll stick on 200 labels in an hour. We'll have no idea what's, what, what's in the, the product that they're labeling or no idea what happens to it afterwards. Whereas if you get a true craft beer, you should be able to say, do you know what? That beer right there has DJ on it, right? That's, that's his stamp on it. He's, he's craft. That's his recipe. That's um, also his, I don't know, you know say it, it's a family run or actually no, that's from, that's a water for co-op, right? That's, you know, that's those, uh, 10 people there making that beer they've got their stamp on it there's a story behind it and actually the malt that they're using is sourced locally from you know one of the farmers that they work with because you know he, he gets um whatever's left over for for the cattle or whatever so you can kind of see what i mean right but you know, like to boil it down again like just that craft is is people and i think it's very it's a very easy demarcation to make then when you've got a beer like we have here that you know so we could talk about the, the the guys at Trouble Brewing, and you know, I'd be confident in the fact that right there, a brewery that have gone from from day one and evolved over time. They're also a brewery that pays a living wage, so cares about their staff. So again, that's that element of people there, and um, you know, and they're part of a wider kind of craft beer kind of community. So I don't know whether I'm, I'm kind of making sense there, like because that's quite a, still a wide spectrum, but. That's what, what craft is to me. Sticking a load of hops in something just because someone's given you a million euro to go buy a, a brewery and set, set one up somewhere, even though it's a subsidiary of someone a bit bigger or whatever it is, it's venture capital rubbish. Well, straight away, that's all stuff that's removed from people's stories. It's not, it, you know, it's, it's not attached to someone actually crafting something in, in, in inverted commas. So yeah, look, that's a, a very, very long-winded answer, but I don't think I have a definitive answer. I just think I have a definitive idea of what I think craft is. If that answers my question, like you said. <laughs> it's, no, it's, it's a great answer because I think, you know, you've hit on a lot of really important points. For me, like, I still think you have to admire, t take Joe and Ballyclickhaven, for example. Yep. Uh, who, who worked with Smithix for a long while and, and, you know, learned a lot of his skill with Smithix. So, like there are brewers and guys working with Diageo and with Smithix and that who who are master craftsmen. So, you know, sometimes I feel like, you know, we, we do hate on them a bit and it's a bit like taken away from the individuals in those companies. But what I would say is take Costello's, for example, in Kilkenny, who like, you know, tagged me in a tweet today, uh, which I thought was brilliant, um, where they were talking about, you know, uh, here's a thought compulsory entrepreneurship which in brackets economic conscription 
for a two-year stint, give everyone an insight in, into what it takes to run a business to generate an income. And I thought it was actually, look, look it was a really interesting outlook because as I said, you know, if, if you had to do that, everyone might choose more local and more sustainable consumables, including local, lovely, independent beer. Um, when they're faced with the choice in the supermarket, in the pub, etc., if they understood what went into creating a point of, you know, cost of lows beyond the pale or, or spelt lager versus, you know, your point of smithics and what go, what's actually behind them. So there is that element of it. Um, I think as well, when you look at marketing budgets, and we've talked a good bit on this podcast at various stages about marketing budgets, and obviously Guinness are the like marketing geniuses, we have to give it give it to them. And they mark themselves as distinctly Irish and, uh, you know, the, the 1759, the, the two parent part poor for the six o'clock Angelus, but Arthur Guinness himself was, you know, would, would turn in his grave at the thought of someone stopping for a Catholic Angelus. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> You've got this hypocrisy that, you know, they're very smart about and you have, I have to give them credit for and I think, of course, there. And look, I think just just to jump in on that point, because I think you're dead right that there's some amazing people who, you know, look, I'm speaking in a personal capacity here because, like, you know, I sell branded stuff, like that's my job on a day to day basis. But there's some amazing people within the wider beer industry who, you know, work for some of the big boys. And like I, like I said at the start, you can't really remove that. Like that's that's just the system that we have at the moment. Like, and you know, you don't want to take away from that, but. It, it will also be, I'm sure that the, the conversation will evolve this way anyway, but it also illustrates some of the barriers that are there because like you, you've talked about marketing budgets and stuff like that. And the fact that craft beer, like, you know, it, it's still barely scratching the surface of 3% in the market. So there are brilliant people that we, we all learn from and collaborate from and like, they're not at fault. Just there's a wider system there that just, is in play like it's just kind of what you're you're saying there that it just creates a block you know and, just, and there's no way you can as a like you know dj creating his beer and it's great and i've gotten taste and i've gotten to know you i've had the time to get to know you and this is probably a, a theme for this episode as well as time but we've had, had the chance and great like he's crafted this and i've been able to take the time to to understand this you don't need to do that with with Guinness and you know Guinness is great it's you know it's takes the boxes it's consistent but there's a reason for that like like you say it's all that their marketing budget and you know the the fact that they are effectively just this monolithic element in 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 the craft beer I suppose um what's the, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for um not environment but you, you know where I'm getting that as in like you know they own the biggest slice of the pie. And yeah. when, when you're that big, your, your natural, I suppose, predisposition as something that big is to continue to be that big. Um, and that's not individuals faults within that. It's just, that's, that's, that's the situation we have at the moment. Um, it is. And, it is yeah. And I, I think like the key differential for me, and I think the, I think like independent brewers, like we spoke about trouble brewing and eight degrees earlier, we've mentioned cost laws, um, and the greatest yards, blacks can sales of these this world, uh, dead centers. You know who who we talk about, Killer Bruin, on this podcast all the time. They made a very smart choice in the last two years to rebrand themselves as independent craft beer, and I think that's the key term. 
Um, because as you, as we talked about earlier, 2008, 2009, the kind of the mid 2000s, the first craft beer revolution in Ireland of our generation, say. Um, you do have Fran Well that uh, is down in Cork that, that ultimately sold a good deal of shares to Muds and Coors. And it's this kind of thing that if you associate then that with craft beer and, and then it gets disassociated to a certain point, I find that very hard to, to digest. And it, it's, I suppose, getting across to people that, look, it's this independence. Um, and I would, I would really hope that in a post-COVID society, you'd have a much more appreciation of your 12 acres, Ballycake and Costellos, who are using farm material from within a 10 kilometer, 15 kilometer radius of where they're brewing. Everything that goes into their beer comes from within that type of kilometer radius, and that's it. And it's sent off, packaged, it's fresh. And even stuff like expiry dates, you know, the fact that a craft uh, lager might, you know, only last six, nine, 12 months, it's because they're not pumping it with preservatives. It's because they're producing it fresh and it's straight off the straight off the line. You know, I, I, and, and this yeah. is something that I think really needs to be championed. And I look at it, you know, you look at, you know, a political situation where, you know, you look at a politician will jump at a, a chance to have a pint of Guinness in their hands and they jump at a chance to give Barack Obama, say, for example, a pint of Guinness. And you're like, yeah, but mate, that's not, Irish brewing, like uh, as much as it's portrayed worldwide as Irish brewing, if you're in Offaly or that, you know, if you're in the Midlands and you want to give someone a good stout, give them a good fucking stout that's been produced and grown and all the ingredients have come from the Midlands. Uh, well, that's, and just just on that note, right, and it just you really reminded me of um, Tomás Clancy, um, RIP, just amazing wine communicator uh, who, who died recently. A lot of people would know him from uh, the movies and booze talk, news talk, and he always championed it as well. We're a bit crap at doing in Ireland, but they're brilliant at doing in France and stuff like that. Is having these protected regions, like for for cheese, for example. He said, "Look, okay, we've got amazing cheese in Ireland, but we don't don't protect it. We also have amazing beers in Ireland that we should be able to protect them and shout about because, yeah." We are the home of some of the best stouts in the world, but they're not Guinness. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, and we, we, we don't do that. Or like, you, you know, so, some of the, the beers that we produce, um, you know, in the Midlands, you, you picked a lot of Midlands breweries there. Like, and that's the kind of things that could, could put them on the map, really. And as a distinctive, dare I say it, terroir-driven, like these, these are beers that are made in this particular part of the world that are culturally, but also, you know, taste and are unique. They're just a slice of the world that we have, and that and we can we can um, we can we can share that with with people. But you've you've kind of touched on a few things there, DJ. Like um, I'm going to go back to it because post COVID, right? So yeah, local sourcing is is not just ethical, but it's probably environmentally necessary um, that we we kind of think in this way as opposed to having massive global supply chains that are completely dependent on mass transport of stuff back and forth like the you know the supply chains of or the food supply chains we have are just not really sustainable uh, for the future but they're also just not needed because most of what we have we, we can produce and then you can you know if you really want some hops from new zealand yeah you can bring that in but that's 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 a luxury like you know, all the rest here the components there are here and i think that fits into a wider sense of you know okay what is craft beer but also what do we want our 
um, beer communities to be and our social, how we socialize, what we want that to be as well. And Owen kind of touched on it um, the, on the last episode. It was more so, and we probably will get onto this, but about the types of pubs that are suffering. Um, and, you know, a lot of them are rural, a lot of them are but the social hubs of, of communities. But, you know, so should, you know, local craft breweries. They should be a social hub. And if you can marry all this together and, you know, get everyone in the community kind of invested into these things, well, actually, it all starts to fall into place because, you know, you've, again, you've mentioned, like, the, the Midlands and people... So dead centers are great. It's a nice, just a nice visual one anyway to, to talk about. But, um, you know, people kind of gravitate towards it because like, okay, they're absolutely whopper beers, but they're also kind of indicative of a place. And, you know, they, what they've done, um, you, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, with the beer cloud, um, they've kind of like come up with a, a co-op collaboration with a lot of the, the other kind of Midlands breweries and say, look, we're going to get our beers out to people because we can't send them out to the pubs. But at least there's a kind of a, a community element to that in the sense that we're a group of people here who are kind of working together. And I think you can build that philosophy um, that, again, it goes back to what I'm saying, what craft beer is, that puts people centred to the conversation, if you know what I mean. And yeah. I, I don't think we're, we're quite there yet. Um, but there's a lot of, I suppose, green shoots, maybe you, you could call them, of um, that, that idea is uh, starting to take hold. Like, you know, you've got co-op. Uh, so yeah, everybody knows that, um, you know, it, especially rural pubs, but smaller towns and so pubs are decimated. And what's happening in the UK is a lot of them are being purchased by communities and they es- essentially own the space. So it becomes a social hub and, um, you know, that, that then becomes something that the community invests in and they get to decide like what happens does the pub have to be for profit anymore or you know can we just you know rake that profit back into our community and there's there's endless possibilities but for me right you know what is craft again going back to it it should always be about putting people you know for front and center and then i think if we can yeah if we can if we work towards there we'll be in a much better place we certainly will be in better than three percent market share but Anyway, yeah. that's just my thoughts. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Listen, uh, in fairness, you're giving us the title of the podcast. I think I've written it down. Gentrification of the craft industries is uh, going to be the title of the podcast. It's one of the great lines we've heard in Snowcast over the last two years. Thanks for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Shared it with me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah happy days. Glad to provide us. <laughs> Absolutely, you're in folklore now. Um, look, guys, we've we've launched that uh, fundraiser for the Solar Centre today. If you could go and support it, we'd be eternally grateful. Um, we're looking for donations. I think the minimum donation is three euro. We'll take all donations. If you donate five euro, you'll be entered into um, a, a raffle for a hamper, which is well worth winning from Phil Grimes Pub. Um, on top of that, uh, you can follow us on Instagram. Twitter and Facebook at Snowcast. And also, you know, the crack with the Patreon or www.patreon.com forward slash Snowcast. If you want to give us a couple of pounds a month uh, to keep these podcasts going, to get better equipment, to allow me to buy that microphone I was talking about earlier, please do um, and give us your support. And just thanks for listening. Share with your friends. It means an awful fucking lot to us. We hit 15K tonight, um, which is brilliant. So stay with it, lads. And um, look, thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you again next week, hopefully, and uh, slancha Dave Galair.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.